The Midwife Crisis Podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care and may not be suitable for all listeners. We will make every effort to warn listeners of possible trigger warnings specific to each episode. This podcast includes our own opinions and does not represent the views or opinions of the medical practices or institutions at which we practice. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Kate. And she's PR. Hello. And we're midwives. And this is The Midwife Crisis, because it's not just you. If you tuned into our last episode, which we highly encourage, you heard us riff a little about ourselves and got a sample of what we'll be discussing in future episodes. I'm a certified nurse midwife, this is PR talking, in practice for over 25 years, and I'm in midlife and loving it and the wisdom and freedom that comes with age. I'm on this podcast adventure with my friend Kate because I want to start an open and honest conversation about the intersection of women's health and race, age, class, culture, ethnicity, and sexuality, all of it. All right, cool. And I'm Kate. Um, I am 30-something. We'll we'll say that. (laughs) And I am what I consider a baby midwife. So basically, I've only been in practice for about three years as a midwife, Um, you know, 10, 11 years prior to that in women's health. Um, And yeah, I started this podcast with PR uh, because I think it's really interesting to get to talk about something that we love and something that we end up talking about no matter where we are, um, who we're with. You know, we talk all the time. Uh, about women's health and women's health issues. And so having this uh, platform to kind of discuss it further and uh, discuss it in the realm of who we are is really awesome. So thanks for listening. Today's episode, we'd like to focus on a topic that we're both pretty passionate about for a number of reasons, and that is natural birth. And no, I'm not making air quotes. I'm making air quotes. quotes Natural. They're so (laughs) annoying. Well, fine. Tell us. Okay. Do tell. Yeah, so natural birth, in in quotes. Um, I feel like it's basically uh, how people view different types of vaginal birth, typically. So some people think it just means a vaginal birth. Some people think it means a vaginal birth without any medications. Um, Some other people may see it as in the most natural setting, so at home or maybe unattended or attended by, you know, a family member or a lay midwife. Um... And some may argue that natural birth means it's only between a man and a woman or it's conceived naturally. Um, So for me, quote unquote, natural birth isn't just one thing. It's many things. The idea of natural childbirth came after this. Um, It was coined by Dr. Grantley Dick Reed, which I mean, that name, though, it's real good. Good good old Dick. Uh, (laughs) He publicated. He pub. Oh my gosh. He He published. Have a uterus. Yes, he does not have a uterus. He's gonna be an expert on the whole process. Mr. Dick was was an expert, Um, and so he came out with his book, uh, Natural Childbirth, in the late 1930s, Um, and he came up with this term to mean birthing without interventions. He later went on to publish Revelation of Childbirth, which was then called Childbirth Without Fear. After that, Um, and that book still exists now. That's a book that um, I know a lot of women will even see, you know, if you go to Barnes and Noble, you want to read about childbirth. Um, 
it was used throughout this uh, last century. And then other birthing techniques, quote unquote, that were natural um, came up, came out. So um, think the Lamaze technique, the like he, he, who, he, he, who, right? And um, the Bradley or husband coached childbirth method um, came about. Because it's a sport and you need a coach. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, who better to coach you through anything with your uterus and uh, pushing a baby through your vagina than a man, right? Um, and then finally, uh, a little bit uh, more appropriate, I think, was um, Ina Mae Gaskin, who is a midwife, one of the, you know, midwives on the farm, um, which you may have heard of, sort of this um, 60s, uh, almost like a hippie commune, um, where women really reclaimed uh, childbirth as their own, and they really sh- uh, strove to normalize it, basically telling women, your body is meant to do this. So it may or may not be obvious from what Kate has been telling us that formal preparation for birthing was focused on white women, heterosexual, and cisgendered for the most part. And why do I keep saying white women (laughs) in that voice? I don't know. I just find it amusing. (laughs) It entertains me. (laughs) Um, And that's something that seems to have persisted through current into current times. Why, you ask? Why? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, ask why. Um, Because all that teaching and preparation doesn't consider who these women are and where they come from and their history. Um, Childbirth classes, you know, they aren't necessarily a priority when you are struggling economically or you're struggling between work, you know, trying to manage your time between home and work. And so you look at, you know, if you take a look at the classes that pass through the hospital, on tour, they are not, um, look at the demographics, just eyeballing them, you might find one or two couples that are of color, and that may be one, one of those may be Asian. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like a representative of what the community is like, to tell you the truth. Yeah, you know, I taught childbirth um, education for a while when I was in midwifery school, and now that you say that, I mean, I think that that's that's really true. And I know as part of their sort of revamped uh, program, they had this idea that they were going to include different demographics in their videos. And it was so painful. You know, the couples that they chose to represent, you know, different um, nationalities and different cultures were so, uh, I don't know, <laughs> sort of stereotypical. It was it was rough. But um, anyway. Yeah, I taught classes as well. And my classes, um, the students, the the women and their partners did not look like me. Yeah. They didn't look like me. So um, when I was having my first baby, I knew it was important for us to take classes. And um, I knew that my then husband had not seen a baby born. And so my midwife told me, oh, these are the classes I want you to take. And she gave me the information. And she said, there are other classes as well that you have the option of going for. And um, I called up and got the information. And then I got the price. And I said, uh, we are not taking those classes. We can't afford those classes. And those classes were geared towards her, how she practiced, and they were in line with sort of her philosophy and so forth. And they would have been really good classes, I learned later. I sought out some other classes that were cheaper, mm-hmm. and not to say that they weren't, they were terrible, but um, I had already done a lot of reading, and so I didn't really learn anything from the classes other than the tour and my husband getting to see the a film of yeah. someone having a baby out of their vagina. Um, was it the same one that they show in seventh grade with like a 70s woman with like long pubes and she's just like 
push it. You know what I'm, t- you know what I'm talking uh, about. Yes, but no, it was not. <laughs> it was actually more current, a little bit more current than That's that. That's nice. That's yeah. nice for him. It was, for, but what did he know? So <laughs> it was crazy. And they gave conflicting information from what she wanted, like when to call, when to come in, what you could do to comfort yourself. That basically, they just said, pick up the phone call and you're going to go in the hospital, which is, which is absurd. Right. So um, it's, you know, no money means poor information yeah. and conflict, conflicting, conflicting, excuse me, information. Another point is that the black and indigenous community has a long history of being um, betrayed by the medical community. When I talk about black and indigenous, I'm going, I'm limiting myself for this point to those communities because that's where we started back in history. And that's who was, you know, the indigenous folks were here first and Mm -hmm. then the blacks were shipped in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so consider the sterilizations without consent that were done in the South and that were done um, to the to the natives, mm-hmm. the Native Americans um, on the res, um, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment that ended in the 70s, I believe, the early 70s, the Indian Health um, Service, and so some of the providers that work for the for IHS are not usually at the pinnacle of their career for whatever reason, right? And so that's kind of subpar. Um, care that they're taking of people that they may, they're not necessarily respecting. So there's a lack of trust that's become a part of the legacy of seeking care for, for those folks, for us. We also have to negotiate a system that isn't responsive to our needs, um, you know, and so it, when you also throw uh, people who don't speak English, like uh, Spanish-speaking folks or other people who don't speak English, that further complicates things in terms of um, alienation. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what goes on in other countries. You know, if you go to Europe or other places, those countries, um, they speak more than one language. They'll speak their native language for their country, and they'll speak neighboring languages of neighboring countries. And that's not something that occurs here. In fact, we're quite provincial. We're very limited in what we're interested in learning. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I happen to be bilingual, but most folks that I know are not. Yo hablo un poquito espanol. Oh, me está matando. You're killing me. <laughs> but it's okay. You're trying. Yep. So I, I love you because you <laughs> you're always trying. And you're on this adventure. We're on it together. And so... You know, you you have to ask, why are we so uh, isolated? And why don't we consider all these folks? And why don't we consider the, you know, the non-conforming, um, this, you know, non-binary, the, just all kinds of other folks that right. just people don't consider when they look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And people with disabilities. People with disabilities, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, are we doing, as providers, are we doing all that we can? And that's sort of an, a question that I ask myself all all the time Mm -hmm. and I'm of that community that's been sort of disenfranchised but it doesn't matter because I feel like there's always someone under if you're on a totem pole there's always someone underneath you Mm -hmm. and so um I you know you have to ask yourself that and try and be um aware we have a reputation us folks of color for being soldiers in labor or in crisis or in trauma we muscle through and, you know, there's a stereotype that Native women are stronger mm-hmm. and they don't make a peep when they give birth. Mm-hmm. And um, and so... And Especially that women from... You're speaking on, like, um, 
like Mexican indigenous people yes. or different Hispanic yes. um, cultures. For sure, yeah. that they will give birth to very large babies mm-hmm. and they won't say anything to anybody and won't ask for medication. Mm-hmm. They'll just say, this is how it's supposed to be. And so, um, and I remember my own mother, when I went into labor the first time and when she said goodbye to me as she sent me off um, with my husband to the hospital, she said, don't you make a peep. Don't you say anything. Don't you shout. Don't you cuss. Don't you embarrass our family. I've seen that happen, and it's it's horrible. And I don't want to. That we're not going to go that way. Yeah. And I thought, okay, uh, I won't. I'll wait till I'm dying. What? Till <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost dead. So, anyways, um, that reputation further isolates us on the part of the patient and the provider because the provider is assuming that we're okay, right? And the patient, it, we're not okay, and so we created this this wall for ourselves right and so you know those are just issues that um you know i think are worth considering with all this when we're talking about childbirth education Mm -hmm. and just it's it's a you know based on racism and and some sexism look at all these men that came up with all these tools instruments methods um what they weren't developed by women and so that's a there's some element of sexism there, um, and yeah. sort of cultural bias. Um. Well, yeah, it's so interesting to hear. You know what you're saying is, you know, maybe some people come from a culture or um, you know a family where it's frowned upon to you know want anything more than a natural childbirth. And then, um, you know, you look at, you know, this sort of middle class Caucasian population that maybe, you know, uh, feels that reclaiming a natural childbirth is a big deal for them. You know, so it's, you know, they're coming from a place where, oh, of course, you know, you're white and you're middle class and you have money. Of course, you're going to want to be comfortable. You know, you don't want to feel anything. Why would you want to feel anything? You know, so it's it's assumptions on both ends. Exactly what you're saying. That's. Totally true. And it's very interesting when I'm talking to patients about what they might want in labor, I say to them, this is your labor. This is not my labor. Because they'll say to me, have you ever had anesthesia? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had? And I can answer your question, I tell them, but this is not my labor. I already had a turn. Yep. And it's not your mama's labor and it's not your sister's labor. This is your labor and you can do whatever you like. Um, And having a medication or not having medication, that is not what determines a natural birth. From my perspective, Mm -hmm. if you birth a human being out of your body, for me, you, there it is. Mm -hmm. That's a natural birth. Um, Most folks who have cesareans don't do so voluntarily. Now, it does happen now and then, and Mm -hmm. it does happen in other countries quite frequently. But in this country, it's not a popular sort of plan and so I'm led my thought is that you do it because you have to and so who's to say that your birth was not natural because you your baby was born out of an incision in your abdomen that wasn't you didn't stand up and say get me an incision stat right and so and of that small population who does say that um you know I think there is a is a large movement right now um, where women are saying in order to be truly feminist and to be truly supportive of all women, um, women need to be well-informed and well-educated and then 
um, to be trusted to make their own decision. And for some women, every once in a while, we do see that. And that is a primary cesarean birth. And whether that woman has had trauma or whether it is fear or whether, you know, there's something else going on, you know, it's hard for us, I think, to feel that way, to be accepting mm-hmm. of that. But at the same time, we sort of owe it to that woman to trust that she knows what's best for her when she's given all the information. You're, you're actually, you're absolutely right. And the same uh, goes for uh, breastfeeding. Yes. I am a breastfeeding advocate, of course. I breastfed all of my children. Um, I, but I also tell patients who say to me, I'm, I'm not going to. And then they shrink right in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. Like they become smaller. And I say to them, what's wrong? And they say, I don't even want to say it. I know I'm going to have to fight until I get discharged about this. Mm-hmm. And I say, they, she may have her reasons. And I say to them, um, you know, my, I breastfed all of my children and I was bottle fed and I'm just fine. Mm-hmm. And my children are fine. Mm-hmm. And that's not what's going to determine whether you are a good mother. You want to do what's best for your child. But if you have some something going on that tells you in your heart, this is not what I'm going to be able to do after she's been educated, of course, mm-hmm. um, then that's that's your choice. And we have totally. to respect your choice and I'm not going to judge you. So it's the same kind of thing with um, you're right about the, the the sort of the limited population. The cesarean situation is a little bit different because cesareans are not risk free. Right. They are. They can be very dangerous. And so that there's a little more in that decision involved. That involved in that decision, but anyway, um, that those were the points that I kind of wanted to make in defense of folks who are who don't get to speak up so often, and it's sort of a historical legacy that those folks have been um, uh, sort of not included in the conversation, in the, in the conversation, in the yeah. literature, in the research, yep. in the plan- future planning, and this is. 2019, and it's still mm-hmm. is still persisting it's now, true. which is unfortunate. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I know that when I was doing a lot of the sort of uh, reading up um, and when I was looking at different articles and sort of the history of this movement, it, it's you're absolutely right. You know, what I was seeing was a lot of just um, representation from Caucasian middle class and upper class women. So you're 100 percent. Do you want me to say Caucasian or can I say white? You can say white. I don't know. Okay. I just tend to say Caucasian because I try to just keep everything, you know, up and up. I have no idea. (laughs) I'm pretty. Listen, I'm white. White is white is white. So I really don't care. Um, So I I tend to. I'm like a ghost. So I tend to say black (laughs) instead of African-American, just to point that out, to be inclusive of um more inclusive, actually, because I've had women from the Caribbean tell me I am not African-American. True. And I've had so I've been corrected on many um, counts. And so I just to include everyone, I say, OK, let's just go black. Is yeah. that OK with everyone? Yeah. Not sort to, of. I sometimes think like people like women of color, people of color. Is yeah. that again? Women of color is good because I'm including brown women and I'm yeah. including age including that's very inclusive we got our green women yeah those you haven't seen any lately (laughs) but they're around i know they're around they're coming they're coming this is that's that alien conversation is a whole nother day but oh yeah that's that's a future episode you have to keep watching and keep reaching out and we'll get it for you we have some things to say about 
that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So we talked a little bit about sort of this idea of natural birth and where it comes from and historically where it's come from in our country. Um, we thought we'd talk a little bit about our own births. So, um, you know, I think we should we go uh, young, young, younger to slightly older or... <laughs> I'll go first. You can go younger to ancient. It's fine. <laughs> I, I did. I, I was, didn't say that. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, yes, I gave birth in the in the back of the house <laughs> with a shot of tequila and a stick <laughs> in my jaw. I thought you were in a cave. <laughs> old school. <laughs> I'm a little younger than that. Very quite old school. Anyways, go. Anyway, um, proceed. Yeah. So talking about, um, you know, my births, I think first and foremost, I think the coolest thing about births in general is that if you ask a woman um, who just had a baby or if you ask a woman whose kids are in their 50s, if you ask a woman with dementia, almost all of them have some memory of the birthing process or their pregnancies or their young babies. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of research in the last couple of years about how pregnancy and birth actually change your brain. It actually changes, you know, your gray matter and your white matter permanently. Um, and so I think it's so interesting that um, no As matter. Should. Yeah. And no matter no matter what road um, you went down, no matter, you know, where you're from, uh, people can almost always tell you a little bit about their birth. Um, and I think that that's really something really lovely and really special. Um, so anyway, I felt tremendous pressure to have an unmedicated birth um, because I had seen my sister do it and my mom had done it. And I had seen tons of women do it. And I think in the um, in the hospital, in the labor and birth um, culture of nursing at the hospital, um, I think in a lot of ways, people expect you to have an unmedicated birth. That's like, you know what you're doing. You do this every day. You better just get that baby out. Um, and so I, I felt <laughs> so I felt very pressured. Um, the expectations are higher when you're in yeah, the business. Yeah. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I had a horrible ride to the a hospital. It was very uncomfortable. It was July. And I remember pulling up to a stoplight outside the hospital and having the window down and just yelling out the window. And all these people, you know, it's a it's busy, you know, downtown New Haven. And all these people are just staring at me like, what the heck is going on in that car? And I'm I'm yelling out the window, just like, help me. I, I wish I had seen it. <laughs> yep. So I got up to labor and birth and my midwife was there and she said, Kate, uh, you're seven centimeters. And I looked her right in the face and I said, you're lying to me. I know I'm not really in labor. And she held up this bloody glove and she said, you are seven centimeters. And uh, and they got me right away uh, on a monitor, monitored the baby. And then everyone knew I wanted the birth tub. There's a woman who had just delivered a baby in there, and um, the midwife who had caught the baby in there uh, heard that I was coming in, and she kind of scooted her patient out of that room so that I could get in the tub. And I let me tell you, it didn't matter who was in that room. I stripped nude. I plopped into that tub. Um, Did you wash the tub out? Uh, I, re I recall, actually, one of um, our amazing... Um, you know, people who worked there, like one of the nurses or something, like literally, like Clorox wiping the tub out. Like I don't think it was, <laughs> I don't think it got the full, the full cleaning it was supposed Holy to have. Cow. <laughs> but I just plopped right in there. Um, I can't and with yeah. this story. <laughs> so I'm in the tub, I'm splashing around. You know, anytime you might see pictures of a woman having a 
unmedicated labor in a tub. They always look like really calm. There's no ripples in that water. They're just kind of like breathing. I was, it was like front row at Shamu. Like I was splashing. I was flailing around. I was mooing. I was not, (laughs) I was not okay in that tub. Um, Until finally I stood straight up and I said, I have to poop. And if you have ever had a baby, or if you've been with someone who's had a baby, you may recall that this is what people say uh, when their baby's coming. But I was certain of my body, and I looked my midwife in the face and said, no, I need to poop. And she said, no, it's your baby. And I said, no, I'm pooping. And I got up. (laughs) I got myself out of this tub, you know, 40 weeks to the day pregnant, waddled over to the bathroom, and I'm sitting on the toilet, and I'm bearing down, and I thought, oh, I think I feel something. And I remember kind of like wiping and feeling like something was there. And I was like, I think it's the baby. And she said, yeah, I think it's the baby too. Get off the toilet. And so I got off the toilet. I got in the bed. Um, I had a little tiny bit of cervix left. And my midwife said, you know, I, I, can, I can push it over the baby's head and you can just push and have your baby. And I said, great. So she said, you have to give me a really big push though. And I remember thinking, I've seen women do this, and this is the part that's hard, is pushing out a baby. And I've just got to do it, and then I'll be done. And so I pushed hard, and I pushed really hard. And I pushed so hard that on my first push, the baby crowned, what we call crowning, which is where the head came right to the edge. And everyone said, stop pushing, stop pushing, stop pushing. And they started yelling, and they're all trying to, like, get stuff ready and get ready to catch this baby. But I remember everyone telling me, don't push, don't push, don't push. And I couldn't not push. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. And um, and out came my baby. Um, my mom said he came out looking like Superman because he had one hand next to his head and shot it out, which cool. which is cool for him, not cool from the perineal integrity no. in my body. Um, so basically, I had my baby in like one push, and uh, people think that's really awesome. You know, unmedicated, no pain meds, nothing on board. Um, And I'll never forget, he was plopped on my chest, and uh, I looked down at my midwife, and she looked horrified. And she's holding pressure on my perineum, and she's going, "Uh, uh, will someone go get the doctor? She kept saying his name, will someone go get the doctor? And I was like, what's going on? And she's ignoring me. I said, what's what's going on down there? And I started kind of panicking, and, and I just knew it was bad news bears. And so um, after my beautiful unmedicated birth, uh, I had almost two hours of repair. Um, so basically surgery on yes. my vagina, putting it back together. Um, very cow. large tear to this day that um, doctor says it was one of the worst he's ever seen. Um, and so, you know, here I was. I had this unmedicated birth. That's the goal. And, um, and I was kind of like, I was rough downstairs. You know, it was a lot. So, um, so that was my first birth. Um, and it was wonderful. It was what I wanted. Everyone was cheering me on. Everyone was very proud, but I had a tremendous amount of guilt because I could not get out of my head, um, remembering that everyone told me to stop pushing. And I had so much self-blame because I thought if I had just stopped pushing, maybe I wouldn't have torn so bad. Um, or if I, if I had better control, if I was better at having an unmedicated birth, maybe it wouldn't have gone that way. And so even though it was an unmedicated birth, I still, I didn't feel great about it. Um, that's because you're in the business. Probably. Uh, That sounds like it was a wonderful birth. Unfortunately, yeah, you blew your butt out. I did. (laughs) I did. Um, I just want to reassure everyone, uh, 
that the vagina is meant to heal. Your perineum is meant to heal. And, um, you know, in many other cultures, we don't, they don't even repair um, vaginas. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it's not. But I was very fortunate that I had a skilled surgeon, um, you know, who worked with my midwife and carefully put me back respectfully um, and that everything does function. Thank goodness. So what happened with my second was I broke my water. I had already been about five centimeters dilated. My um, GBS testing, the group beta strep, which we test for in pregnancy, was negative. And so I was like, I'm going to wait for labor because my first labor was only a couple hours. This kid's going to come shooting nice. right out. Um, yeah, it would have been nice. The problem was you, <laughs> you didn't pay dues the first time. You just got into the sorority without any hazing That's or right. any dues paid or anything. You just waltzed in, and now it's time to pay. Yeah. Yes. And so what happened was uh, I waited and I waited and I waited <laughs> and I waited. Yeah, you did. And I soaked bath towels with amniotic fluid all night long. And finally in the morning, I was like, I don't know if this baby's coming. I'm going to try again. Castor oil. And I had some diarrhea and still no contractions. And so midday, midway through the day, um, I called the provider that was on and I said, it's been over 24 hours. I think I need some Pitocin. And I still remember walking into the hospital and crying. I cried all the way walking down to my room because I felt like such a failure. Like, what kind of midwife needs Pitocin to get her baby out? That's that's what I was thinking. So, uh, so I get in. I have an IV. This is so different. So no tub because I have to be monitored. I have an IV. I have Pitocin. The Pitocin's on the absolute maximum dose. I'm not even feeling any contractions. Um, this is hours and hours and hours into the process. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I might, I might not ever have this child. Well, well, well. <laughs> right. So completely, completely different. Um, and I remember saying um, to one of the providers that was on uh, for my practice, I think I just need a, cese a cesarean. I think I just need a C-section. And she was like, okay, crazy. Um, <laughs> because guess what? We all say some some pretty out of character things when we're in labor. Um, but yeah, at about 7.30, that is one of the shift changes at the hospital. And uh, just so happened that my nurse was switching. And so she's giving report and I'm kind of sitting on the birth ball and I'm laughing and I'm eating illegal food because you're not supposed to eat when you're on Pitocin. But I was just popping those... Uh, Shout, shout out to Flips pretzels, chocolate-covered pretzels. Of course you were. Of course <laughs> just, you were. just eating my Flips, no big deal. And all of a sudden, I have the painful contraction. It, it was just like the contraction that had sort of woken me up from my nap with my first. Um, and that was about 7.30. And by 8.30, uh, I was fully dilated and about to deliver this baby. So the active labor part was about an hour. Um, and this time, because I couldn't get in the tub, I tried a nitrous oxide laughing gas. Um, so, you know, some people would not consider that an, a quote unquote natural birth. But really, like I said, nothing was natural. I was Don't on the monitor. I had Pitocin. I had that laughing gas. I tell people it's like a big old glass of wine. Like every time I'd suck it in, I'd be like, ugh, my mom's eyebrows look horrible. Like that just made me very judgy and like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I remember uh, my midwife was there and this time I was so scared of pushing and tearing because I'd torn so badly the first time that I just wouldn't push. And I laid on my side with my legs clamped shut and my midwife uh, was kind of sitting at the end of the bed with her gloves on. And I said, just pull the baby out. I looked at her right in the face. I said, just pull him out. And she said, the head has been crowning for like 10 minutes. You have to just open your legs and push. 
and poor kid. I was so Dad is just squeezed <laughs> I was so up. scared. Yep. And so I finally just gave. I mean, again, it was like I gave like a push. He came out like his brother, Superman style, what we call compound hands. Um, but this time, because I refused to open my legs and barely pushed, um, it wasn't such a bad tear. It was it was less. Um, and I healed a little bit better. Um, and so those were my two births, and they were they were really different. They were. They were um, different, and they weren't the way we would predict for a first and a second. Right, We exactly. would predict the way your first went, we mm-hmm. would predict that for a second. True. And your second more so for a first. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I reflect on that, and a lot of people will say things to me like, um, one of my really good friends just had her second baby. She had epidurals with both, and... She said, I don't, I don't know how you did it. You're so strong. You're so amazing. And I said, really? It was so fast and furious. Even if I wanted something for pain, I probably couldn't have gotten anything. And I was not one of these people who was calm or collected. Mm-hmm. Your mom would have been very disappointed in me because I was, <laughs> uh, as far as, far as uh, screaming, I mean, I was bringing great shame to my family. I was, I was saying some not nice words. I was grunting. I sounded like a bull. And... Um, you know, but but that was that. And so, um, yeah, so so those were my births and those were sort of my experiences. You uh, you have three babies, right, I PR? I do have three babies. And it's very, very interesting. Um, my mom, she got actually she got to see me work. Not when I had children. I invited her and she said no. The first one, she said, no, I don't belong there. So that's very interesting that your mom was there mm-hmm. when you gave birth. The second one, she said, no, I'm going to watch the first one. Um, and so you need me to take care of the first one. So I'm going to do that. And you just go on. The two of you who started this, finish it. Yeah. My mom was there for both, but she just sort of sat there. Um, my husband was there and he was helpful. But the most comforting, the most amazing, supportive part of my birth was my sister. And the third, I invited my mom and my sister, and they both said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> my sister said, I, d- I, I decline. I'm too chicken. Oh, I would have been and, there for you. Oh, I bet you would have. Was and I born? Yeah. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, for the first, no, you, for the first one, you were not born yet. Okay. Smarty pantalones. Um, you weren't born yet. You got the jokes going. Did you stay up all night thinking of that one? <laughs> um, my first birth, it lasted about 10 hours from start to finish, which is pretty good. That's for a first baby. Mm-hmm. So I called my mom because what else do you do? You call your mom. And she came over and she stayed with me until he arrived. And she stayed until we actually departed for the hospital. And I, like I said, I asked her to join us. She refused. When I got there, I thought, I'm going to be pushing in a few minutes because this is holy hell. <laughs> I was three centimeters. <laughs> that's, that's a long way to go. That's barely, yeah. you're not even really active. Um, and like I said, my water had broken already at home. Um, but my labor progressed quickly. And uh, I had a little shot of something called nicental. They don't even use that anymore because I think it like, I don't know, people probably died from it or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's back. They were like, no more of that. But uh, it, it's sounds like, nice. It's like a it's nar- got nice in the word. It's, it, right. It does have nice. <laughs> it's a narcotic and it just kind of makes you kind of drunk. So you don't care. It's mm. another drunk drug. <laughs> um, and pushing was very hard, but I only pushed for an hour and a half. And then I said, I need a cesarean. <laughs> <laughs> the baby is stuck and I need a cesarean. 
And I heard the doctor and the midwife talking, and the midwife told the doctor, she's a poor pusher. She's a poor pusher. And I said, no, the baby's stuck. I I wasn't getting in their conversation, and the doctor said, just push for a few more minutes, and then I'm going to go get the forceps. Remember that old Simpson, that old, where was he mm-hmm, from? Mm-hmm. We don't know where he was Not, from. Uh, he, wasn't the, he wasn't Scottish, was he? <laughs> Let me tell uh, you, if you don't know what forceps are, they look like big salad tongs. That's huge. Huge salad tongs. Yeah. And um, they, they used to. They lock. They lock together. Yeah. <laughs> around the baby's head to help um, deliver the baby. It's called an assisted vaginal birth. And they pull, pull, they pull the baby. Yeah. So anyways, uh, he put them on and um, his head was born. The baby's head was born and his body was not. It's supposed to be the head's born. And then in all the movies, the body slides right out. His did not. (laughs) And they turned and they twisted and they turned and they hemmed and they hawed. And he said to the midwife, my hands are too big. I can't. And she was a small person. And so she put her hands in. And fortunately, she saved the day because my 11-pound, 4-ounce, 23-inch baby boy was born. That is so crazy. That is like almost (laughs) twice the size of my baby. With a fractured clavicle. Uh. Yes. And so that's how he got born. His clavicle broke, and then that made him sort of fold in half enough to slide out. Kind of not really slide, but get out. <laughs> to Winnie the Pooh out. Yes, to Winnie the Pooh out, like stuck right in that little honey hole. <laughs> out of that, he slid, pushed out of the honey hole. Anyways. Um, I like that. I'm, I like that phrase. Honey hole. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to use that. That's, he, that's cool. He got pushed out of the honey <laughs> hole. He was stuck in the honey hole. And then his mama had a uh, postpartum hemorrhage. Of course. But of course. And an extensive laceration that tore my... Tail from the front to the back. Listen, girl, we're we're in the third degree club right here. High five. Yes. I was destroyed. High five. And I and when all of it was over, I said, I can't wait to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first one. And so the second one, I got I gained less weight and I said, I'm gonna prove to them I'm not a poor pusher. And when I got to the hospital, I got there and I had my bag, a little purse, and I had a big bottle of wine. And the security stopped me and said, you can't, you can't go in there with that. And, and you're pregnant. And I said, you think I don't know I'm pregnant? And I'm in labor. And I'm going in there with this because my midwife said I could. And he said, and meanwhile, my husband's behind them. And he's sort of um, waving his hand saying, no, don't, don't talk to her. Don't say anything to her. Just, just let her go. And um, and I turned to him. I said, I see you back there. You're doing something. And the guy says, you're not supposed to bring alcohol. And I just walked away from him. I was like, you, I dare you. Doug will dog dare you You should to have told me. him you were going to crack it over the baby like you're christening a ship. <laughs> I didn't. I said, I'm going to drink this. As soon as this baby gets out, I'm going to guzzle it straight from the bottle. Um, and so we go upstairs and I find out that I am three centimeters yet again. What is it about about that number? And I thought I was going to be ready to push again. She said, I'll break your water if you want, or you can go back home. And I said, no, let's go. And so she did. And the doctor said to me, well, we know how you labor. So I'm going to go play one game of tennis and I'll be right back. And when he came back, I was nursing my baby. It only took, um, 
it, it was very quick. It took like less than two hours. And I was nursing my 10-pound, 5-ounce, 21-inch baby boy. Oh, my gosh. These yes. are big babies, folks. I mean, uh, some people just do have big babies, and that's clearly you. But these are, these are, these are good-sized kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. So the third go-round, I gained a lot less weight. Everyone's belly was smaller. I'm a midwife. I'm, you know, I know better about different things. I understand all the crisis and the scary times that went on before. Um, and I said, you know, this one's smaller, and it's going to slide out like butter. <laughs> and I told everyone it might even come out and stop and shop in the produce aisle if I go into labor. Nope. It stayed in a week late. Oh I think it gosh. wasn't big enough. Um, and so I was induced with Pitocin, and I made a crazy deal. Same midwife all three times. I made a crazy deal with her. Um, no matter what I say to you, do not give me any drugs. Now, what is that about? It wasn't about natural. Like, what makes it natural, not natural? But mm -hmm. I just said to her, I don't want any drugs. I'll take the Pitocin because I'm obliged to. We can't get the baby out. Now, this is after I've had all kinds of midwife friends in my house, in my living room, in my bedroom, sticking their fingers in there, trying to strip my membranes, mm -hmm. taking um, castor oil, doing all kinds of little midwifey tricks that didn't work. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we had to resort to the Pitocin. And I said to her, no matter what, do not. Just leave the room and just leave me alone. <laughs> and that's what she did. I Because I went a little nutso. Um, I said, I remember saying to my husband once, I didn't make much noise, and I, I was kind of whispering the whole time. He said, were you there? <laughs> were you in the same room? <laughs> I do remember reverting, going to Spanish and not speaking. They were like, what is she saying? And what is she saying now? And what is she saying now? And I had said to him, um, I think they serve heroin um, down the street from where <laughs> this is going on, and could you just go down there and get me some? Because... That's what I need. But she kept her promise up until the end. And this was all day long. This went on. And all day long of me chatting and uh, whining and fake crying and refusing to speak English. <laughs> and then um, I said to her, she said, you really want something? You really want me to give in after the deal we made? And I said, I think I do. She said, in 10 minutes, if you're not pushing, she said, I have it in my pocket. Who the hell says that? <laughs> That's such bullshit. We don't carry drugs around She's in our pockets. She's definitely lying, but I love that. She said, I and I believed her. Yeah. She said, I have it in my pocket, and I'm going to, if in 10 minutes you're not pushing, I'll take it out of my pocket, and I'll give it to you. Like, she's dealing with a child. <laughs> so she treated me like I was a child. Even to the point where, at one point with the Pitocin, I went into the restroom, and I stayed for like a half hour. And they said, what is she doing in there? She's been in there a long time. And so um, my husband comes in and he says, what are you doing in here? And I said, I'm trying to get a break from that Pitocin for God's sake. I can't <laughs> take it anymore. He said, I thought the Pitocin was in that bag up there that in, in this little box that's ticking because I had a pump <laughs> and it was pumping away on a battery. <laughs> and I, in the bathroom with you. In the bathroom <laughs> with me. And he said, um, I thought, I thought they said, it's this is it. The Pitocin's right here. And I was like, give me off this damn <laughs> toilet and get me out of this bathroom. 
yes, the Pitocin was running the whole time, and that's why I wasn't getting a break. <laughs> but that's what I was trying to do. See how you lose your mind? Mind, mind you, midwife, I should know all of we this. We all do. Yeah. doesn't matter what your title is. <laughs> At any rate, in that 10 minutes, I did start to push. And so I, and I was asked to stop pushing, and I said, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> that was my response to that. But it, I did what I had to do. And um, 10 minutes later, my nine-pound, eight-ounce daughter was born, um, and I knew I was done. And I didn't know I was done because I had a girl, because they had to prove that to me over and over. I kept saying, her penis is missing. Let me see again. Let me see again. <laughs> and not because I was pining for a girl, because I know what girls go through. And I, that, I just said, no, not a girl, because girls, they're going to do this. She's going to hurt. When humans come out of her butt, out of her <laughs> hiney hole, her honey hole. <laughs> but um, I knew I was done because for the last time I had gone to the seventh circle of hell and run back with a baby. And I was not going to do that ever again. Um, I do want to point out, I, I want to make note, the doctor covering for my first two births was a black man. Um, and I respected and loved him, and he taught me a lot, and his skills and manner are to be admired. And in anyone else's hands, I would have had a C-section with all of those kids, probably. Um, and I want to thank him. He was very um, kind to me. Um, I trained in his practice with the midwives there, and um, he did. He did restore my faith after I was assaulted at a young age. Um, but I still see only females. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. And I, and I love, you know, we're both midwives. We both have so much respect for, um, our profession, obviously, but in a similar way with my first birth, you know, I loved that my midwife, who was my really good friend at the time, um, knew that, you know, my laceration, my tear was more than what she could handle. And, and I felt so lucky to have a capable surgical hand to put me back because, you know, midwives are experts in normal and had it been yes. a little less a little you know a little less exciting maybe for your first baby all that you know a midwife's perfect but in those times where you need a little bit extra to have someone that we trust and mine happened to also be a male um, physician to have someone that you really trust and, and feel comfortable with is is priceless yeah um, so sure. yeah so yeah, that's so interesting. Sure. You know, I feel like listening to both of our births, we have a lot of similar, you know, portions. I think first and foremost, I want everyone out there to know that we're laughing and joking about the silly and the crazy that happens when you're having a baby. But as midwives, we always have respect for you. And no matter how you get this baby out, no matter what you got to say, I mean, like, we know it's tough and we each have our own journey and whether you're quiet or yelling or whatever, you know, we're, we're there to support you through it. And, and I think sometimes people really worry, like I said something really inappropriate or I was too loud or I'm so embarrassed, but listen, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Cause I tell them a singing opera. Yeah. They said I was yelling and I said, you mean singing <laughs> opera? No, that's fine. I call it mooing, uh, as you probably heard me say, which sounds really mean, I think, now that I'm hearing it, like you're a cow. But I don't call it, because it's not really, for me, it was never really yelling. It was more of like, uh, <laughs> you know, like a grunting, yeah, yeah, low yeah. kind of, anyway. Truth be told, I rarely, rem I don't remember who sang opera and who didn't. Yeah. I, it, that's not something that sticks with me. Yeah. If you kick me in my teeth, I'm going to remember that. It's true, true. 
but I don't a lot of it. Most goes most out of my most head. of most of us, all of us, you know, do, we do great. We do the best we can do. So yeah, and if you do your best, that's all anyone can ask. Yeah. So thinking on, you know, sort of this idea of natural birth. What are like what are some of the pros? What are we thinking here as far as what can we say in in, in uh, support of? So the thought is that you know you're talking about less intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, with less intervention, you know, you're allowing woman a woman to do what her what we feel our bodies are meant to do, mm-hmm. and and just feeling powerful in what our bodies can do. We're doing something that the opposite sex can't really do, and so true. Yeah, um, we feel some power in that. Yeah, totally. I think also, um, you know, there's this element of decreasing fear. You know, women love to tell stories of their births, as we talked about, and sometimes it's the scary stuff. Sometimes yeah. it's the the sh- clavicle cracking and forceps, and and yeah. that can be really scary. So having and promoting a quote-unquote natural childbirth where a baby comes through the vagina and everything's okay and everyone's okay, um, I think can sort of decrease some of that fear. Yeah, I think it's really important not to make women feel if they didn't have the same experience as you that their experience is less or wrong or everyone's experience is right. right. If you wound up with a baby, a healthy baby then it was right. It was, and I think that that's really important. And I think that we judge ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, in terms of promoting that, you know, you, the, I made jokes about the part, the coaching thing, and it's an, it's a sporting event and that kind of thing, but you do, it's really important to be connected with your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, Whoever your partner is to be connected with that person. And they know you best and when you're in time of when you're in any kind of trouble in mm-hmm. times of when you're feeling like you're in any kind of trouble. And um, with my last birth, I was surrounded. Even my nurse was a midwife. And so she specialed me to be the nurse. And so everyone in the room was a midwife, the videographer, the midwife was the midwife and everyone was a midwife. And so um, my husband was afraid that I would turn to all of my midwife team and friends and he would be excluded. And I said to him, no, I, that wouldn't happen because we were in it together. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the way he didn't express that to me until later, but my way of demonstrating that and kind of closing them out, putting a sheet over the two of us was to not speak English. <laughs> yeah. And so it was sort of, this is our connection. I'm, you're going to speak, I'm going to tell you what, what to say and, and, in Spanish and then you're going to say it and then that's how we're going to that's how we're going to do this because we're in this together yeah and so you know that you can allow this whole um issue this idea of promoting natural birth allows you to have a team approach with the partner and um and that's really important if you're not medicated because um you you not may not make sense when you're (laughs) when you're speaking for yourself right um, I think the obvious pros as well as not having a surgical, you know, not having a surgical birth, having less interventions means maybe lower risk of infection, lower risk of, um, you know, bleeding. If you don't have an epidural, you know, um, 
or, you know, different types of medication. Sometimes you can be groggy. Sometimes you can't move as much. Sometimes you need, you know, just again, um, you know, more sort of interventions and maybe you're going to heal better. Maybe you're going to have less pain postpartum. Um, maybe you're going to be more present for your birth. These are all ideas, you know, stemming from uh, when the natural birth movement first came about, where women were coming from a time of not being present for their births to now getting to be present and and um, not having so many, you know, hands in, in that pot, per se. Um, some of the issue, the other issues, um, you know, and sort of reflecting on this whole issue of natural birth, no air quotes, um, is that it can make some women feel like, you know, they are, like I said, that they failed in some kind of way if they didn't. And so that's why it's important to repeat the stories and to process it and to process it with someone who can give encouragement and say, no, that was to meet the woman where she is and to say, no, no, that's how it was supposed to be. Um, and if it wasn't, then to process that piece of it. Right. If there was some a sort of error in judgment made or something else went, went awry, then, you know, that needs to be processed as well. Yeah. Um, some or others, something, yeah. I'm sorry, nope, or if something uh, didn't turn out well, if the baby, if there was something that harm that came to the baby or the, mm -hmm. or the, the baby did not survive or something, because those issues happen as well. You know, mm -hmm. our business is not always happy times. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes real times. And so that, that needs to be processed. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of a reality of this whole sort of um, thought about natural birth and the guilt that comes with not getting what you plan to have mm -hmm. and hoping what you had hoped to have. And, and that can also lead to um, some postpartum depression mm -hmm. or just some difficulty coping afterwards. Yeah, some studies actually show that women who plan a natural childbirth and then um, either get pain medication or have more interventions and things like that are actually more at risk for having postpartum depression, and we should really pay more attention to them. And I think allowing women and families to maybe mourn the loss of that birth. You know, if you had an emergency C-section, you were under general anesthesia, you missed out on hearing your baby cry for the first time, you weren't involved in your birth, that's going to be its own sort of traumatic piece. And though we are happy that we were able to get you and your baby through it, um, the reality is you may you may have some you know guilt associated with that. You know, additionally, sometimes the quote unquote natural I, I like the quote unquote natural birth movement mm -hmm. um, isn't as inclusive of all races and all people of people of uh, people mm -hmm. that are larger, people maybe that have higher BMIs or have predisposing dis, uh, conditions, people right. with disabilities, people from the LGBTQIA plus community. I mean, there's all these different types of people who maybe might be sort of excluded from being yeah. able to have what's considered a natural childbirth. And so pushing it and telling them, well, trust your body and this is what's right and everyone can do it and you're born to do it can make those people feel, again, maybe less than. Not to mention the fact that um, you know, even though there's certainly risks with interventions in childbirth, there's also risks to having an unmedicated birth. I mean, I think we both talked about, we're both very lucky um, in that we don't have, you know, uh, prolonged uh, issues from our vaginal births, but there is a, a real risk of things like incontinence, um, both uh, urine and uh, fecal incontinence, mm -hmm. um, fistulas, prolapses, needing additional surgeries. Um, so it's not, uh, it's not without risk in and of itself as well. Right, right. And I, that terrible repair that I had to have, the, the doctor, he was the one who did the repair because mm -hmm. 
right. you know, it was that kind of not good situation. Um, and the midwife, she was awesome, awesome, awesome. And she did m- my other repairs and actually made them better. Than <laughs> <they> <laughs> better than they were from that uh, first time. Um, so, yeah, she was she was amazing. Um, but, yeah, if you can't enjoy the birth because you're in too much pain, then you need to get something for the pain. You, mm-hmm. need, to, you need to keep it real with yourself and your situation. And your providers need to meet you where you are. That's right. Um, with regard to your situation and kind of that's, you know, I feel like we are a little bit deficient in that we don't reach out enough and we kind of make the patient reach in too much, have to do too much work in that regard. And so, um, you know, that's something that, um, you know, uh, that we probably need to work on um, with regard to um, with race and gender and Mm -hmm. um, and the work that we do is that, you know, we have to have more self-awareness. That there's implicit bias in, in this world, yeah. basically. And a lot of us try to pretend, just because that's the nature of America, we try to pretend that that's not true. But if we start with acknowledging that, I think that that's, that's a good place to then become a, a better provider for all people. Um, Absolutely. If we kind of recognize, um, you know, our implicit bias and stuff. And that's that would be a step to resolving some of the, and we don't have time today to talk about this, but, you know, the disparity in outcomes mm-hmm. for, for, you know, women that, you know, there's much more maternal death for, for black women and for women of color than there is for the, you know, the major population. Absolutely. And so, um, and for, you know, childbirth, you know, death, I mean, child, infant mortality as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's something to address and it starts there with that first step. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, um, you know, some people probably thought, okay, natural birth, we're going to be promoting this as the best way to have a baby, but what is the best birth? And for, for me, Every birth is different. Every person's journey getting there is different. Um, and n- one is not necessarily better than the other. No. What's important to me is the, is the perceived experience by the patient, um, by, her, by her family um, or his family, if it's a trans male, you know, um, what they've gone through. Are they okay? Is their baby okay? Do they feel like they were involved in their care? Do they feel like they really understood you know, anything that was being suggested or that they were being listened to. I mean, I think it's really um, a lot of what PR was just saying about this team approach um, and, you know, just really supporting women through birth. I agree. I agree. Um, Natural birth. You birth a human being. It's not a cat. It's not a pony. (laughs) And that is natural enough. Natural love for me. Love it. All right. Thank you guys so much. If you have any um, questions, concerns, comments, anything you want to share with us, um, we can be reached at uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I know until next week. We'd love you. to hear from you and we'd love to he- for you to listen in next time. That's right. See you later. And uh, listen, guys, if your underwear is wet, make sure you change it. Thank you.